We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to a bonus Wednesday episode of the future award-winning Talk of Buffalo podcast, part of the Blue Wire Network. I am your host, Patrick Moran. You can find me on Twitter, at Pat Moran Tweets. Thank you very, very much for locking in today. John Fina, former Buffalo Bills left tackle, a great left tackle for the Bills, spent a decade in the NFL. He's going to be my guest again today. Again, 10-year career with the Bills, 11 in the NFL, a former first-round draft pick who heavily delivered throughout his career. Very good player for the Buffalo Bills. The first player in the history of the franchise to ever get franchise tagged. Anyway, I've had John on the show once before. We talked about his life and his career. And that was a lot of fun, and I'm very glad to have him back on today. I'll get John's insights on the 2021 Buffalo Bills as we get ready to get this regular season started Sunday. And by the way, I'm sure I speak for all of you. Cannot wait. Home opener. Pittsburgh Steelers right off the bat. That stadium is going to be nuts. I can't wait. I'm not going to the game, but I am going to tailgate. I'm going to spend some time at the stadium. That vibe, I've waited a very, very long time uh, to be able to be around that. So I'm very much looking forward to that. But anyway, so I joined John Fina as a guest on the Rock Paul Report. We taped it at O'Neill's earlier this summer. And John had some takes that I found really interesting. And he was talking, but it wasn't my show. I was just a guest like John and as well as Joe Miller on the Rock Power Report. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, John's seeing some stuff that I would kind of like to dig into a little more. And I'm going to get that chance today. So I'm really excited about that today, man. John Fina and I talked about this on the show a couple of times since doing that with John. John is one of those former Buffalo Bills that is just connected And I mean legitimately, truly connected to fans, to Bill's Mafia. He wants to be a part of this. And you could just get that sense, man. He is as engaging to fans as any former Buffalo Bill I know. And we'll talk about that, man. And we'll also talk about his uh, his upcoming show, Off Tackle with John Fina. He's going to be doing that with Joe Miller from Buffalo Rumblings. They're doing that live Monday nights, starting this coming Monday, 9 p.m., they will break down the, the latest Bills game each week. That's going to be interesting. So they're doing that live, and then it'll drop the next morning, Tuesday, in podcast form. I'll talk about that with John plenty more. In fact, you know what? I'm not going to waste any time. So let's just get after it right now. Here it is, my conversation with former Buffalo Bills offensive tackle, John Fina. All right, I am joined right now by former Buffalo Bills left tackle. Played a position for a full decade in Buffalo. Two Super Bowls, story career. John Fina. What's going on, John? How you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. How you doing, Pat? I'm doing good. And let's start here, okay? And we're going to talk some 2021 Buffalo Bills. I got. I want to dive into some things from a conversation as part of a podcast that we did together recently. But I'm going to get to that in a minute. I've enjoyed listening to you for a while now. On my pod, you've done this show once before a couple of years ago. I've heard you on others. Um, O'Neill's recently, like I said, I'm going to hit on that in just a minute, but I've been thinking for a while, as I've been hearing you talk that this is something you should be doing. 
And lo and behold, you're going to be now. The Off Tackle Show with John Fina. You're going to be doing that with Joe Miller Monday nights. Uh, Joe described it to me. I asked him, I said, what are you guys going to be talking about? And he said, basically, I'm going to be getting John's analysis of what happened the game before. We're going to break some stuff down. Monday nights, live, 9 p.m., YouTube, Periscope, all that stuff, man. Uh, I'm sure this is something you're looking forward to. And, and what do you plan on bringing to the show? Well, I think, you know, my biggest fault when I'm kind of reviewing games is I'm always trying to be a little bit too sensitive to the players, you know, because they, they kill themselves to win a football game. And I always give them the benefit of the doubt. So in the past, I, I really haven't been hypercritical. Uh, I don't think that winning a football game cures cancer or feeds the world. But I think my downfall as a content creator, participant, whatever, is Sometimes I might be a little easy on guys. And, I, I, you know, that's obviously just a player's perspective. You know, things happen so much faster uh, in real life than they do when we watch the game and rewatch the game. There is no slow-mo when you're on the field and the ball snap. But I think that, um, I don't know, I might be a little bit more intense on some of the player performances. I think especially if it's a, you know, a repeat mistake, that kind of stuff, though. Mostly we're going to be looking at the game and talking about critical plays, critical breakdowns, uh, huge plays, and, you know, really just trying to figure out what the, the roster is going to look like week to week and where to attack the opposing uh, defense and offense uh, as, the, as the season progresses. Is it difficult as a former player to be critical, especially, A, because you've done it, B, you know how hard it is to do, there's only a select amount of people in the world that play in the NFL. And then again, see, it's your team specifically. You know, I've talked to Eric Wood about this a couple of times. Now with Eric, it's a little bit different because he works for the team. Radio broadcast, but he's working for the team. It's not like he's working for CBS or for Fox. So he has a little more leeway to be more sensitive to the players. But that's got to be something as a former player. And I'm sure you will if the situation arises where you need to be critical. I mean, you pretty much just said that, that you will. But that's probably something that doesn't come natural and come easy to a former NFL player to to have to be critical of somebody who who's not maybe getting the job done, right? It is, and I think the hardest part, especially when you're a fan, is you want your guy to win every individual battle and the team to win every game, the defense to you know make the offense succumb and the offense to exploit everything, and you know everybody wants uh, uh, you know every field goal made, every kick returned for a touchdown. And you just can't think in those type of absolutes. Uh, so, you, you know, you really you're dealing with a lot of ties and a lot of, you know, that's good enough. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, a friend of mine always says that uh, better is the enemy of good. Right. Sure. So you, you, you sometimes just you got to deal with what's in front of you. And, you know, for me to assess guys doing something that I don't do anymore you know, sometimes it's uh, it's hard to, to do, you know, to kind of process because having been in those shoes, I realized that the guy across from me has a pulse, too, and he's trying to make his mortgage payment and he's trying to feed his kids. And uh, I don't think for a second that any guy goes out there and takes it for granted. But that doesn't mean that they're going to win every battle. Right. Now, we taped the show a handful of weeks ago it was with the Rock Power Report. It was Drew and Chris and then. You were on the show, Joe Miller was on the show, and I was on the show. And that was a fun time and fun conversation. A lot of uh, a lot of jokes. The jokes were flowing. Uh, plenty of wings. The wings were flowing. The pints of beer were definitely flowing as well. It was a great time, and it was funny because he waited about a good 20 minutes or so to bring you on. And I've known from past experience, again, from talking to you and from listening to you, I'm like, John's going to give it to you, and you, you did to Drew, and that shit was funny as hell, but... Two things I really took away from that, and I want to kind of talk about both these points before we get into like some Bills-specific stuff. Number one, I get I got a sense, for all the jokes that you have, you also have a serious side, but I got a sense you really enjoy and you really miss Western New York. Now, there are a lot of players, a lot of former players talk and they say great things about Buffalo, and I'm not saying that they don't mean it. Because I know to some extent they certainly do. Most people who've played for the Buffalo Bills are fond of Western New York. But I feel like I get a sense that you truly, like from your heart, mean it. Like you are still, to this day, 
even if you're not living there right now, you're very much still attached, not just to Bill's Mafia, but to Western New York, period. Am I accurate with that? 100%. You know, I think the difference is I lived in the city of Buffalo for nine of my 10 years. So I rented an apartment on Linwood between Utica and Ferry for mm-hmm. my first seven years or my, my uh, seven of the first eight years. And then I lived on Lafayette between uh, Elmwood and Delaware. And you really, you know, you're just exposed to the city. You're surrounded by it. Uh, That's, I I tell people all the time, they think I'm crazy. It's the most beautiful city in America that I've been to between the architecture and, you know, just the the overgrowth of forest and trees. And uh, the fact that Buffalonians take such pride into cramming, as much activity and fun and outdoorsmanship into their two week long summer right. uh, that, that they can. And, you know, all of my experiences were based in the city of Buffalo, all of my haunts, my restaurants. Uh, and I had, you know, dozens of friends who had no attachment to the Buffalo Bills that were just, you know, regular Buffalonians. So that for me really just enhanced my feeling of being connected to that community. You know, I when I was back there the last time, and my my buddy picked me up from the hotel. I said, you know, I know you're taking me to the uh, the airport, but hey, just drive Elmwood for me. You know, let, let's leave 15 minutes early and let's take a slow drive from downtown all the way up Elmwood to the Skajakwita, and just let me feast my eyes. You know, to everywhere I used to walk around, and that feeling was incredible. It's just a it's just a great city. You know, it has its challenges like anywhere. But it is so rich on the eyes, uh, and and the people are just really, really great people. Fans enjoy. So when we did O'Neill's, there was probably a good dozen Bills fans that were there to to watch the podcast and, and to meet you, obviously, get some pictures, you know, shake some hands, stuff like that. Fans enjoy you. And this is where I was talking about, like, you're engaging with the fans. Like, you, it seems to me you're enjoying having conversation and banner and taking photos with these fans at O'Neill's just as much as they were looking forward to meeting you. You know what I mean? It's it's not just one way, like, hey, I'm doing you a solid. I'm taking a picture with you. I'm John Fina. It's like, you're sitting there, and you're having a good conversation, and you're having a lot of fun with these people all the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it just kind of goes to the way that I was brought up. You know, when I, when I got drafted by the Buffalo Bills, you know, my mother said to me, hey, don't, re- don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your family. Don't forget your upbringing. And, you know, Marv Levy was great at that, just making sure that we were, you know, we put our shoes on the same way everybody else does. And there's nobody more valuable on this planet than me and nobody less valuable on this planet than me. And I feel like, um, you know, that's part of the deal that these fans, they want to love you and engage with you. And where's the harm? And just giving back and, and being interested in who they are and their lives and, and the people around them. If I can bring them uh, just a little bit more joy in their life. And, you know, it's hard to get joy right now, right? Life sure. is, the world is a, is a pretty tumultuous place. Yeah. So if I can ex- give somebody a, I mean, come on, really? Someone meets me and, and, and that's a great thing. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I be outgoing and friendly and nice and over the top? So. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a player anymore. I'm just a, you know, a washed up legend. And, you know, if somebody wants to reminisce with me, then I, I'd, I'd like to give that back. It's, it's, it's selfish a little bit. It's a gift for them, but it's also a gift to me. Now, when we were actually talking Buffalo Bills during the podcast, a popular topic over the course of the summer, as it should be, was the defensive end position because the Bills were loaded at defensive end and, at that point of the of the podcast, we didn't know how it was going to play out. We knew that there were probably not going to be seven defensive ends on the roster, that they were going to do something, but we didn't know what. As it turns out, Bam Johnson was traded recently to the Carolina Panthers. Anyway, you talked pretty in-depth when Drew brought it up because Mario Addison was a hot topic of discussion on that night. And the feeling was maybe because of the young players that he might be the odd guy out. Maybe he'd get traded if they couldn't find a partner. He'd actually be cut. And you kind of talk pretty in depth about the role that both Jerry Hughes and Mario Edison would have with this team in the locker room, in positional meetings with these young guys like rookies, Gregory Rizzo 
in Carlos Basham Jr. A.J. Epinesa is only in his second year. F.E. Obad is still a young player. As, and you were right, obviously. Like, talk about that role a little bit. Like, say John Fina is still a Buffalo Bill. You're a grizzled vet right now. And I bring this up because you got a guy like Spencer Brown, a rookie, who comes into the league. Like, what are some of the things that you're showing them off the field, in the locker room, positional meetings, like Jerry Hughes and Addison are probably doing with these guys right now to help a guy like Spencer Brown or these guys are doing with the rookie defensive ends to help them get ready for life in the NFL, on and off the field? Well, I think the first thing that, you know, the, the veterans, Butler, Hughes, Addison, uh, guys like that, really need to keep their eye on is just make sure the preparation is right. Uh, the, the rudimentary stuff, get to your damn meeting on time. You know, be wide awake, be uh, engaged. You know, those are the kinds of things like when, when you know, I was on the offensive line, when we had young guys come in and you'd feel them drifting, you know, you pull them aside and say, kid, this is your job now. You know, you need to be a professional. You need to be on time. You need to be prepared and you need to be coachable. You know, a lot of guys come in, all these guys on this roster and every other damn roster were probably the greatest kids at their high school, the best damn players at their college. And, you know, a lot, many of them haven't had somebody who's told them what it's like. So the first part of it is just how to be a pro, how to be a pro, how to behave. And then secondly, you know, training guys to watch film in college, you know, they've got a, they've got a, a maximum amount of hours that they can even be exposed outside of classes, you know, things of that nature. And you really have to train and learn how to watch film and film has to matter. And it's not just watching yourself. It's not just watching your teammates, but you got to pull from the skill set and ability of guys that are like you around the league. So I would always, you know, our film sessions, you know, the first probably hour and a half on Fridays were very serious. And of course it just devolved into a, you know, typical locker room behavior, but real pros study film real pros know their playbook and that's where you know these this group of young guys you know you think about mob rules sometimes uh where a bunch of young guys get together and you can lose control of stuff and there's a lot of young kids in that room so it's going to be up you know it's going to be on the veterans who keep it together now if i'm mario addison and jerry hughes who are you know longer in my career i want the coaches to be confident enough to put the guys behind me in so I could take a breather. You know how devastating it is to an offensive line when you have defense defensive linemen that are rolling consistently and they're always seemingly fresh. It's exhausting. Yeah. I, you know, I've heard that Matt Barkley, you know, not the greatest talent in the world as a number two quarterback, but I've heard from players that he was like really invaluable these last couple of years off the field in the boardroom, in positional meetings, and helping Josh Allen mature and develop off the field. So there's definitely something to be said about that. At the at the end of the day, though, John, these young guys, like say if you're still on the Bills, let's just say you're a seventh, eighth year left tackle right now with the Bills, a guy like Spencer Brown, he's coming in eventually to take your job over. Is that something that's on your mind as a veteran when it comes to to mentoring a young player, you know, helping this guy out in some way? In the back of your mind, you're like, well, you know, it's my duty to to help this guy out, just like I was helped at some point by veteran presence. But isn't in the back of your mind that, hey, this guy is eventually going to take my job? It is. Uh, you you can't really uh, you can't really avoid that, though, right? I right. mean, Father Time catches up with all of us. Now, by and large, when you look, especially at our offensive line, uh, we have a, a, a great number of young tackles, right? I mean, both. Uh, uh, both Williams and um, Deion Dawkins, yeah, yeah, and they're they're young guys, right? Deion Dawkins, uh, I think the oldest guy in the offensive line. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is uh, John Feliciano, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, in the end, there's something about uh, football players that want to be mentors. And I think when you look at you know the talk about Addison, just to kind of go back to that, you, if you don't think that his thought process on mentoring these young guys in training camp maybe held some sway about him staying there, you know, I think you'd be wrong. And if you want to win a Super Bowl, you know, what good does it advance the team toward the Super Bowl if Dion and Daryl don't 
coach up Spencer and Tommy? What happens? Right. You know, people get nicked up and somebody goes in. And I got to be honest with you. I mean, everybody's career ends at some point. Those two have no chance of overtaking them in this year and may not even be next year. But I want to win a Super Bowl. And if I have to go down, I want the guy behind me to be able to stand in, protect Josh, open holes for Devin, Zach, Matt, Taiwan, you know, and, and get the job done. And it's a kiss me deadly. No question. I mean, every, every time a young guy comes in and they did it to me a couple of times in Buffalo, bring a tackle in, it made me work harder a little bit, you know, and it also is a little bit of a wake up call that this doesn't last forever. Last forever. This is a temporary situation. Yeah. Well, you played in the league for more than a decade, 11 years. You're retired now. You're obviously, you're older, you're more mature, you're wiser than when you were younger your former first round draft pick all the way back in 1992. Looking back now, like what was your mindset when you first got into the league? Now you came to a team that had been to two straight Super Bowls. Spencer's coming to a team that's now regarded as one of the uh, legitimate favorites in the AFC. But anyway, when you first came into the league as a first round draft pick, what was like your mindset then? Well, you know, I had a really good agent. And when I got drafted by Buffalo, you know, he kind of, sat down and said, listen, John, you know, this is an established team. You're a nobody. I don't care if you're a first-round pick. You got to go in there and lunch pail it. Don't be an idiot. Don't try to show off. Don't pretend like you don't have to do scout team drills. You know, be a blue-collar working kind of guy. Be the same guy you've always been that you were at the University of Arizona, and you'll earn their respect. And, you know, we've seen it over the years. Like some some kids would come in and have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. I'm you know, I'm good enough already, or you can't tell me what to do kind of stuff. And, you know, those guys, they just don't last. So I knew that I wanted to last and it was, uh, it was important to me. So I, I showed up wanting to learn, eager to learn. And I think probably the, the, the time I got in trouble is in training camp and uh, the meeting was just about to end. And I asked a question, you know, cause I was ignorant and I asked a question and the coach went on, Tom Bresnahan went on for an extra 10 minutes. And we got out of there and every veteran came over and said, kid, you got a question? You wait till everybody's gone. We don't want to go lay down. We appreciate you want to learn, but don't hold us up. Uh, so, you know, lunch pail it. I mean, literally, it's, it's blue collar work when you're an offensive lineman, uh, you know, despite what Twitter and Instagram reveal about you and how, you know, beloved you are by uh, the, the fans of Buffalo and, and the Bills Mafia Nation. You know, you're still, you're still a work-a-day kind of guy. You still got to go out there and hone your craft. Before we talk about this year's team a little bit more, I want to go back because I listened back to our first episode and we basically covered your life and your career. But one thing I really didn't hit on was the fact that you were the first player in Bills history ever to get the franchise tag. And to this day, you're just one of five Buffalo Bills to ever get tagged. First, do you happen to know who the other four are? I do. I'm looking right at it. Notion. It was I, all right. I so it was it, it was you, obviously. The other four: Hairless Price in 2003, Nate Clemens in 2006, Jarius Bird in 2013, and then Cody Glenn in 2016. But take us back to that time from what you can remember, like the process. Of, of getting tagged like what was your reaction at that time when you're getting tagged now of course eventually you ended up working out a, a long-term extension and you went on to play for six more seasons in buffalo but at that time i mean you used the word tumultuous earlier during this uh, chat was that a tumultuous time for you like did you know i'm going to remain in buffalo did you start thinking i'm going to end up somewhere else like what was your thought process at that time honestly i, I wish that i had paid a little bit more attention i mean for me when I got to Buffalo, I lived down in Orchard Park my first year, and I was, I was kind of miserable. I mean, it doesn't make sense, right? A first-round draft choice on a, on, a, on a Super Bowl team, and I was, I was really kind of alone. And, and then I, I moved up to the city and met a whole bunch of new people and, and really started to kind of like fill out my life. And I knew that I'd never wanted to leave Buffalo. And the franchise tag thing, I mean, it wasn't really kind of like a discussion-based thing. You know, it was my agents like, hey, they want to keep you. This thing might happen. And I was like, look, I want to be in Buffalo. I, I didn't 
I didn't even consider what my other options were, and I'm happy that they never arrived. I mean, I guess my only my only regret uh, is, and I never thought about it at the time because I was a little bitter about having the way you know it ended in Buffalo with um, you know that GM who had forgotten his name. Thank God. And I signed with Arizona, and then I realized, you know, I, I should have called Buffalo back. It was the wrong people there, but I should have said, sign me for a day so I can retire as a Buffalo Bill. And I'm not. I'm retired as an Arizona Cardinal. And it seems it, it, it never mattered at the time, but now when I think about it, and I think about the time I spent there, I never wanted to leave. And uh, it would have been nice to just always be known as last team Buffalo Bills. Yeah, for sure. One other thing, too, about – because you were around for this. And, and again, I didn't ask you this the first time you were on for me as a fan and as an, as an older fan too, I still remember this day kind of, and I call it a day in infamy in Bill's history back in 2000. And granted the players were all on the downside of their careers, but in one swoop and you were part of a core of a Super Bowl team. And even beyond the Super Bowl years, a very good football team. And in one swoop, Bruce Smith, Andre Reed, and Thurman Thomas are all gone. You were there when that happened. What was what was your thoughts as that happened? Like, what was the organizational thought, like the other players, when this happened, the way it went down? Well, I think they probably could have addressed it a little bit better. I mean, when you lose guys of that caliber with that history, you know, you better be able to replace them. And I feel a little bit like it was rudderless, you know, after they left. Um, uh, it, it was, it was kind of surreal because those names you mentioned are synonymous with the Buffalo Bills. And it's hard to think about when I look back on my days there, it's hard to think about, uh, what we did, what we accomplished without these guys that really, they, they set the name Buffalo Bills in the history books, you know, four Super Bowl appearances and to watch, see them wash away. What it did also is it really was an overwhelming sense of the ephemeral nature of the game. You're only in it for as long as you're in it, as long as your value and then other people are assessing your value based on not just your performance, but you know now the economics of it all that matters too. And it was kind of an it was an eerie feeling. You know, you know you're on the back end when these things happen. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Back with John Fina, let's talk about the current Bills offensive line right now. The offensive line has continuity to it. Basically, the Bills are running it back. It's the same unit as last year. Cody Ford was hurt last year. So far, knock on wood, he's healthy. So basically, the the offensive line is the same as last year with Spencer Brown and Tommy Doyle, two new rookies added to the mix. How important 
is it? And again, and this is why I like having a former player on, because this is one thing for a podcaster or a writer to have their opinion. But I want to hear it from somebody who actually played in the NFL when it comes to the offensive line specifically. Continuity. How important is that? Ter- is that vital continuity on the offensive line? Or is that a term that, quite frankly, is overrated? Like, what are your thoughts on that? No, it's not overrated. I think it's important. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a reason why. I mean, you're smarter than I am. But I think that Reuben Brown and John Fina at guard and tackle are the longest running starting duo. They are. They are. So, I mean, in the history of the NFL. Oh, so we played next to each other, I think, for six or seven years. And there were things uh, Ruben and I just communicated on a, a far deeper or more instinctual level. And, uh, you know, our calls were the same. Um, we had a, just a way of we watched film together. Uh, and when you watch film, of course, you know, you're watching the defensive guy, but then you talk about combination blocks and how you're going to handle those types of things. And if you have just an easy way to communicate and you know what one another is saying, then when things don't go right, it's easier to solve. When things are going well, you know, you're able to even even add on top. The um, the current offensive line, I think, is great. It's fantastic. I mean, Feliciano is obviously the emotional leader of the line. You know, the rah-rah guy. He's going to he's going to be the first one down on the touchdowns. I, I think the Cody Ford. I really want to have, see have a breakout season, and I love how they and love how he's at right guard right now. I think it's a really terrific position for him. Mitch Morse, um, not the biggest guy, uh, but smart. And then when you have guys like Cody and John next to him, I think that really those front three are it's a, it's incredibly important. As much as we throw the football, to be able to step up into the pocket, and I think. Having watched, you know, last season, Daryl Williams out on an island like crazy, just really, I don't know if he surprised people, but he stepped up. Well, however you want to say it. And obviously, Dion is a, a known entity, and, and it means a lot in film, and it means a lot that you have the confidence in the guy next to you. I really hope that, you know, they stick together, and and you see Spencer and Ike and Tommy come in when we're up by 21 or 28 and get those guys going. And it, it's, I don't know if it's overstated, whatever, when people say it, you know, they, I don't think they, they feel how deep it, it, it matters, but having been there, I can tell you, if you bring in a new guy, you're training him, not, they know the plays already, but you're training him in communication. When it comes to Spencer Brown, let me ask you this, going back to your rookie year. Now you were the Bills starting left tackle in your second season. Will Wolford was there your rookie year, and then you became a starter after that. Do you think, were you ready, looking back now, if you would have had to start as a rookie, were you ready to start as a rookie? And I ask you that because I'm going to have a follow-up with Spencer Brown, but let me ask you that first. Like, when you go all the way back to your rookie year and you can recollect now, were you ready to start? If you had No, to? absolutely not. No way. Okay. Um, maybe mid-season. You know, I, I don't know about starting, but... Uh, no, I wasn't ready. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you said that because that's where I'm going with Spencer Brown. Now, Spencer Brown has looked really good in the preseason. That Chicago game. Now, I don't know if Khalil Mack was just giving him basic moves. He didn't want to put anything on film, but Spencer Brown looked really good. By all accounts, he's had a really good summer. Are you surprised that being a, a third-round pick, not even a first-round pick, which that really does, that only matters on draft day. Now it's about the roster. But – are you surprised that a rookie is going to step in from day one and be the swing tackle? Because, I mean, you just talked about Darrell Williams stepping up last year, who had injury problems two years ago, and Deion Dog is a solid left tackle. But, man, you're one turn ankle. You're one thing away from Spencer Brown being a starting offensive tackle on a Super Bowl contending team. Uh, your thoughts on him this summer? And also, I mean, does that concern you a little bit that potentially – this kid might go on to become a stud tackle in the NFL, but right now as a rookie, are you a little bit concerned about him potentially having to be a starter? Pat Sony's got to back up. I mean, it's got to be somebody, right? Sure. Uh, you, you drafted these two guys, Tommy and Spencer, and, I mean, that's the job. <laughs> you got to get them ready. Coaches have to get them ready. Teammates have to get them ready. It doesn't really concern me. I think he 
at first blush, uh, looks like he might be a little bit more capable than I was when I came in. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe my teammates would say, no, nah, you would have been fine. But maybe <laughs> I was fortunate. I was fortunate not to have to get thrown to the wolves. I've watched Spencer. Uh, you know, there's a couple of things that he's probably working on that if I had his ear, I would say, you know, that I'd, I'd rather see you do a little bit more of this. But I think, um, you know, I think Daryl and Dion are doing that. And I think the coach is probably doing that as well. I mean, I, I hope he is. You know, I, I don't suspect that they're going to let him get away with much because how important he is at that swing position, right? I mean, the first guy off the bench at the tackle position, it's it's got to happen. It feels to me like they wanted that guy to be Bobby Hart, and that's why they signed him in the offseason. But it kind of became pretty obvious that that wasn't going to be the case. So. I don't know, maybe just by by default because there wasn't a veteran on the roster in camp and preseason at swing tackle that was uh, that was performing better than Spencer Brown. So maybe that's why he's the third tackle to start the year instead of uh, the fourth. But anyway, sorry. So, John, Sunday, anyway. Well, hey, I'll just dovetail on that just for a second. Go you ahead. know, Coach Johnson, you know, he comes from college coaching, and I think that's a good fit. Uh, a lot of times – you know, offensive line coaches who have been around a long time tend to not be as technique. Uh, they don't emphasize the technique as much. So I think Coach Johnson is going to look at t- those tinkering things that you have to do. You know, these guys, none of them, well, few of them who come in through the draft are really uh, a finished product, right? Yeah. So you got to you got to tinker. You got to have them understand. And and I, what I would here's what I would do with Spencer Brown, I would find a guy in the league who's established and go back and, and show him, you know, you're a super tall guy. Let's find a super tall guy. You can go back and look at Jonathan Ogden a little bit and a number of other guys, but, you know, take his current play and somebody who plays like him and have him watch that film. Is your mindset when it comes to the running game pretty much all right, they're not going to run the football a lot, but they need to be more effective running the football than they were last year. There's not a lot of flaws on this team by any means, and I think the running backs are more than talented enough to succeed on this football team. But do you feel like they're not necessarily going to run the ball more because Josh is just going to fling it all over the place, as he should. But there's going to be, t- there's going to be points of games and times in the season where they need to run the football more effectively than they did last year? Is that something that you have a little bit of a concern about right now? Or are you confident that with this offensive line, they'll be able to run the ball just fine? Well, going back to originally, I think they have to run the ball, Pat. I mean, that's going to be, that's going to what, that's going to be what takes them deep. You know, too many bad things happen when you pass, you know, we all love Josh, but he's not without ever making an error. They all do. And you have to have a running game and, from what I saw in some of the preseason games, I think that there's a there's a, a little bit more excitement around it. I think uh, some of the scheming is better. And when you talk about uh, con- continuity in the offensive line, it matters in the run game. So if we keep these five guys healthy. We're going to pound the ball a little bit. We have to. We have to. And by the way, if you do, if you do pound the ball, then – I don't know. I, I I don't dissect every damn play, but play action still works. And it only works when you have the threat of a run. And when you are drop, drop back pass pro all the time, that's a lot to ask. I don't care how good Dawkins and Williams are. It, it gets old fast. And if you asked all these offensive linemen what they'd want to do, they'd say, we need to establish the run. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a fact. We could talk for an hour about, you know, all the, the, the assets that the Buffalo Bills have right now, from Josh to really one of the best receiving corps in the entire NFL, a very good defense, an elite secondary, two great linebackers, young defensive pass rushers. We know all that. On the flip end, are you can if, if there is a concern besides, again, having to prove that you can run the football, you just talked about it, and I think you're absolutely right. You have to do it. And that's the one thing the Bills – Last year, for all the good things they did, they did not. They weren't great at running the football. They have to improve there. But that aside, if there's another concern, are you concerned at all about the lofty expectations 
that are going on right now. I mean, you turn on ESPN, you turn on NFC, um, NBC. I just saw an Inside the NFL, three of the four people picked the Bills to go to the Super Bowl this year. I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs are still in the AFC. It just seems like there's a ton of people out there. And I'm not just talking fans, man. I'm talking media. I'm talking all kinds of people out there picking the Bills to, to go to the Super Bowl. Now, you came into the NFL as a member of the Bills while the Bills literally were going to Super Bowls. So I know you're familiar with lofty expectations. Are you a little bit concerned at all that this team right now, with the expectations, that it's going to be really hard to live up to them? Well, of course it's going to be hard to live up to them. But are they deserved? Yes. And I'll tell you right now, in the locker room in Cincinnati, I mean, the the, the hellhole of all football NFL teams right now, I mean, who's worse than Cincinnati? Atlanta? I mean, where? how bad does it get? You know what they're talking about right now? Winning the division, winning the championship game, and winning the Super Bowl. This is what they talk about. So the fact that you had a good team and the expectations are high and they happen to be talking about it outside of the building that, that you work in, no, that, that's just life. I mean, that, you know, I've talked to kids. I coach kids. I talk to my own sons and my daughters. And I said, you know what? The hardest thing, most people don't fear failure. Most people fear success. Because the more gooder you do, the more betterer you are, the more is expected of you. And I don't think Diggs came to this team to work with Josh Allen and the rest of the crew to shut it down because a bunch of guys on TV said they should get there. I think they salivate and they go after it. I'm not concerned. I have the same expectations. Yeah. I mean, you don't want us. Who wants to go backwards? I'm looking around, see anybody who wants to go backwards. Do you? Right. No. Josh hey, Allen. Hey. Josh Allen said. In fact, he said it today that there's nobody that has higher expectations than they do for themselves as well. That's right. That's yeah. right. And that's just a manifestation of what they put on the tape last year, the personalities and the excitement that's exuded and the fact that they feel like they have the pieces in place that from the GM to the coaching staff all the way down to the practice squad that that they can, when things go bad, they can recover, that yeah. they can make they can make hay when they need to make hay. Josh Allen got rewarded this offseason, deserved. Do you feel that last year, I, I mean, I know this is probably, I'm sure it's a rhetorical question, but like last year wasn't a fluke. This guy really does have the goods. I mean, you got to see it before we go putting him in the Aaron Rodgers class or, you know, even going beyond that, the Peyton Manning class and stuff like that. He's got to do it over time. But when you look at him and you've been, again, you played in the league for a long time. You've been following the league for a long time. Physically, he's got the tools right up there with some of the best quarterbacks you've seen, I assume, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and as far as his contract goes, I don't even think about that crap. I mean, someone's getting paid. It's going to be this guy. It's going to be that guy. Pay them. I mean, this is the market. There's, you know, how many grown men are walking around the United States of America between the age of 21 and 35 years old? right? From 10 million, 22 million. How many of them can do what Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and a few other guys can do? I mean, there's six great quarterbacks in the league, arguably eight. Bam! This is, <laughs> give them all the, you know, load up the dump truck. I don't care about any of that crap. Josh puts pressure on himself because he has a high standard. Uh, you know, and not to even compare the two of us, but I, I know a little bit of what Josh went through. I was not highly recruited out of high school. I got the last scholarship at my college. I was a defensive, I was a linebacker for a week until they timed me in the 40. And then I became a defensive lineman and two years went by and they realized I wasn't worth a shit there. I came back from spring break and I they moved my locker. The, the equipment guy is the one who told me I moved to offensive line. That's how much they thought of me. <laughs> That's I'm not kidding. No, I believe I you. It's an amazing weapon. I didn't know where my shit was. <laughs> uh, so Josh Allen carries a lot about, and, and don't ever, you know, and I'm not saying you do, but no, nobody out there should discount the internal motivation that he has. Um, and all these guys have. Uh, you, you just, uh, 
and you love to see it and you want them to have high expectations. And what I just want is every Buffalo Bills fan out there to just take a deep breath when our guys fail and love them anyway and love our team. And I know they do. I know someone's listening to this right now and says, Green is an asshole. Oh, can I swear on this pod? You can say whatever you want, man. <laughs> and that actually might be in part true, but uh, they will lose games. Some will have disappointing performances, but, uh, you know, we just, we kind of hope that they put it all together when, when it really has to happen. And, and the, I think, I think they're poised to do it. And the good thing is when that does happen, you will be here to talk about it this season. Last thing then I'm going to let you go. So, any home game for a player is exciting, I'm sure. You know, this year is probably going to feel a little more special to these guys after not having any fans at all last year for the regular season and then only a smattering were allowed uh, for the playoffs. When they run out that tunnel on Sunday to, to, to face the Steelers, these guys, it's going to be electric. I mean, that vibe is going to be incredible. Do you remember like your first home game, the energy that you had? What was, what was it like? That's how we'll end this. I got to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. You, and you should because uh, I didn't play at LSU or, you know, USC. I played at Arizona and we have good fans. We don't have legendary fans. And people ask me, what what were your most memorable experiences in Buffalo? And, and I can't shake it because it's just it's resounding. When we came out of the tunnel, game one at home to play the Rams from whichever city they were at the time, I think it was L.A., that 82,000 people erupted, and it, it made me feel like a toddler. I, was, I had goose flesh. I was almost afraid. I was, it was, I was exhilarated. I just couldn't believe my ears and my eyes. And I, I, I agree with you. Bill's Mafia and the fans, whether you include yourself in that or not, I, I would love to be standing there at the tunnel when the team comes out. It will be electrifying. And it, it's, it's incredible. It is, it is one of the most incredible feelings I've had in my life. When you we did the show at O'Neill's the next day, you were in town for an autograph signing along with uh, it was Daryl Talley and Antoine Smith and uh, I can't remember who else. But anyway, I I, rem- I remember that. Anyway, so you were at it was an open practice the next day, Saturday morning, eighty some degrees at like nine in the morning in Buffalo, and it was like seventeen, eighteen thousand people at an open practice. Man, that tells you how ready Bills Mafia is for this season. It's going to be nuts, man. And you know, everybody in the league thinks that their fans are going to do the same thing. And I I don't know how many listeners you have to your podcast, but I'm going to tell you this, you know, when I watch TV and having been a player, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the fans start screaming when the opposing offense is getting up to the ball, right? They want to, they want to affect the, the cadence, right? Mm Mm-hmm you really ought to start when they're in the huddle. You know, a miscommunication in the huddle is just as devastating as getting guys to jump off sides. Sure. I mean, can you imagine if the the X goes out to position, he thinks he's running a nine route, he's supposed to be running a five. I mean that if they can keep that going, get that amped up when, as soon as that, that quarterback steps in to call the play, if that's the same decibel level, it is, is at the snap. I mean, it'll be devastating for, for quarterbacks to come to Buffalo this season. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, John, it's pretty cool of you to, to do the podcast and, and even have to ask, I don't know how many fans are listening to the podcast. So that shows that you didn't even ask me like what your listenership is. You just said you would jump out. By the way, it's a lot, just so you know that. I do this because I, it keeps me connected yeah. to the city of Buffalo, to the beloved Buffalo Bills. Uh, I never really had any desire to do this but you know joe miller's such a great guy you were great to me drew was awesome and i just like to have some fun yeah. and this seems really fun to me and it's gonna be and i'm looking forward to it so follow every, everybody follow john on twitter if you're not already at john fina again off tackle with john fina he's gonna be doing that with joe miller monday nights part of buffalo rumblings live on youtube periscope all that stuff 
John, thanks so much for doing this, man. I, I you, I've said this before, man. You're one of my favorite people to talk to. One of my favorite interviews because I think you're very candid and very open and very honest about not just your football takes, but just your assessments with life and stuff. So I really enjoyed this a lot. Thanks a lot, buddy. Before we close, can we just take a moment of silence, silent prayer, throw it out to karma, to the cosmos, that our tight ends kick ass. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again. Former Buffalo Bills great John Fina. Make sure you follow John on Twitter at John Fina. Make sure you check out Off Tackle with John Fina live every Monday night on YouTube with Joe Miller. That's going to be a lot of fun. John's going to do a great job of breaking down the latest Bills game. Like I said, man, just a totally engaging former Buffalo Bill, man. He loves talking to fans. There's a lot of players out there, a lot of former players that still do it because in some respects, at least, it's kind of part of the gig. But John truly, truly likes Bills fans and he loves engaging with everybody. So thank you very much for doing the show, John. Always love having you on. It's always a a great honor and a great pleasure of mine. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead. Do that right now. Subscribe. Rate and review, all that fun stuff. I promise you, it really, truly helps me continue to grow this show. Of course, if you haven't done so already, follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. I'm constantly on Twitter. Podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, sports talk, music talk, pop culture, all kinds of stuff. I live on Twitter. I'm there all the time, at Tweets. Thank you very, very, very much for listening. I say it all the time. I know how many great shows are out there. Just Buffalo Bills content alone, there's a million great podcasts. So when you're locked into this one for any amount of time, it does not go lost on me. I'm truly grateful and humbled and thankful to all you. So thank you very much. Have a good one. I'll be back two more days from now. Casual Friday with my man, Joe Yurden. <laughs>